please pray with me as we prepare for God's Word this morning. Lord, we confess that we are desperate, Lord, for You. We're desperate for Your truth. God, we're desperate that You would expose the darkness in our heart, the blind spots in our lives, Lord. And we're so thankful that You have sent the Holy Spirit as a guide, as a director, as a counselor, as a helper. As we navigate Your Word, Lord, I pray it is alive and well in us, and that we may in return just fall more madly in love with You. We pray this in Your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, just when you think it's, you know, seasons are turning, it's going to get cooler, you know, we have another sunny 80 degree day ahead of us. Uh, but as we're thinking, you know, made it to November and we're ready for the holidays and we're preparing for Thanksgiving and then you got Christmas coming around and we're thinking about gifts, what we're going to give our kids. And so I kind of look back at what I got when I was close to their age. And uh, there's a time in my life when I really remember a couple, like a, a set of gifts that happened in about three years that, um, that kind of shaped and changed the way I, I think about how I give gifts. I was nine years old and asked for a BB gun. Uh, and my dad uh, gave me a basketball hoop and a basketball instead and said, shoot this for a year and we'll talk about it next year. And so when I was 10, he gave me a BB gun. Okay? And at the same year, my, one of my best friends, he also got a BB gun. And that summer we're hanging out. For some reason, our parents thought it was a good idea that we could hang out together with BB guns. And so we, uh, we were at his grandmother's house and we decided that we would find a target. And there was this truck sitting in the middle of a field that seemed like a very likely target. And I went over and it had some grass growing around. And I looked in the gas tank and it seemed like it was old. It wasn't. But we proceeded to shoot out all the windows, all the mirrors, all the light bulbs, all the taillights. If there was glass or plastic on this truck, we shot it out. Yeah. So uh, needless to say, I think I probably didn't deserve anything next Christmas and I think there's a lot of times where I think about that. I'm like, man, I, I probably don't ever deserve really any gifts for Christmas. And we probably all can relate to that. And like, eh, we don't really deserve a whole lot of things that we're, we're given. Um, but the next year, and for that whole year, Dad actually kept a, um, a tally of how much I owed him. As a 10-year-old, it was like $5 at a time. I'd have to, for chores, he would, he would take it and, and it would minus five uh, for that entire rest of that, that year. So I thought, man, I, I'm in debt here. There's no way I'm getting a gift for Christmas this year. And so my mom and my dad, they end up getting me a, a punching bag the next Christmas, which was great because I spent a lot of time on that bag. So it was, it was awesome. And I think about that, and I think about Luke 11. I think about how Jesus talks about his father in comparison to our fathers. I think about when it says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it'll be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So we're in the middle of the series on the Holy Spirit. The first week we talked about who is the Holy Spirit. Well, He is God. He is our Helper. He magnifies Jesus. He's the completion of the Trinity, the three persons, perfectly and loving uh, God. In week two, we talk about what He does. Well, He directs us to Jesus. He brings glory 
to the Father through Jesus. He shows us what God is like in all of His righteousness. He brings conviction and grace at the same time. He leads us while walking alongside us. He loves us enough to expose our sins. And so this week, we're going to look at John 17, and we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit, how He sanctifies us, and also we're going to look at who He sanctifies. The word sanctify is kind of an old church word. It's not very commonly used in, in our language. We don't use the word. We don't walk around saying, oh, that's really sanctified today. It's not a very use, useful word in our culture, yet it has great meaning. The word, the meaning of the word means to be set apart or to be made holy, which is kind of the foundation of why we as believers are on this ball of dirt, is that we might be set apart from the norm, the standard of, of what's going on in this world, that we might be a light in, in the dark world. And so to be set apart, to be made holy, only that can happen through uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. So in John 17, Jesus starts talking about that. As Dennis read in verse 16, we'll start. He says that they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus here is praying for his disciples. And so we get this wonderful privilege of seeing how Jesus speaks and prays to the Father. And at the same time, we get to see how Jesus is praying for us. He says that they, his disciples, are not of this world, which is an interesting statement. But he's stating that, that we are actually aliens, we're foreigners, we're sojourners to this place. We were made for something so much greater than where we are right now. So Jesus is saying they're not, they're not, they're not meant to be here, but while they're here, please, we're going to sanctify them. Just as Jesus was not of this world, those who follow Jesus are not of this world. First Peter 2 tells us that. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So he shows us immediately that as followers of Jesus, something has to happen. Something has to change in us to be set apart, to be made holy. Because this world is so easy to look like what's going on in this world, isn't it? It's so easy just to kind of be conformed and just go with the flow. And so something has to happen inside of us as disciples to be sanctified. And so he says it's going to happen through the truth. Now, all the New Testament hasn't been written. These guys that he's praying for right here in this prayer will go on and write a majority of the New Testament. So through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is praying for them, that they will go on and they'll write the rest of the New Testament for us. So Paul is not really a part of this picture yet as Jesus is praying this prayer. But Jesus, it just shows that Jesus, when he prays, it is, his prayers are not contained by time. They're retroactive and they're, they're future active. So the first part of the prayer, Jesus is praying for the apostles to go into this world and make more apostles. Okay? So how are they going to do that? Well, he says that we'll sanctify them through the truth. God's Word. We could spend a lot of time just talking about how powerful and how wonderful and how magnificent God's Word is. But I think about Hebrews 4.12. When I think about God's Word and the power of God's Word, I think about this text. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, to joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
And no creature is hidden from, the, from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in this time of need. His Word, when we look at it, it shows us, it exposes to us how sinful we are, how unholy and unrighteous this relationship with Jesus is at all. When we read God's Word and we spend time and allow it to marinate and meditate on it, we realize how unholy we are, and at the same time and in the same breath, we recognize how holy God is. And there's this beautiful picture of what the Word does. It surgically is like a knife that's coming through and dividing us and removing these things of the world from us so that we can, with great confidence, know that we're adopted sons and daughters because of what Jesus has done for, for us on our behalf. But first it comes from letting God's Word expose you, lay you open. I think about, and I've heard someone talk about this text in the sense that it's like field dressing a deer for you hunters. You're, you're open, you're exposed, everything is there. For God to look at, examine, and then it says with confidence that we might go to the, the, the throne of grace and receive mercy from the one that can only give us mercy. So how? Well, the Word of God. That's what He uses to sanctify us. So interesting enough, in verse 19, Jesus says, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus is using the same Greek word all the way through this text as the word sanctified. Consecrate and sanctify is the same word here. All right? Which means that there's no expiration date. It's a present tense word. There's no expiration date on being sanctified. So there's never a time, space, existence where the, where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit weren't fully holy. So why does Jesus need to be? Why is he saying that I need to be sanctified? Well, if Jesus is the world, Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus is the word of God, and Jesus is the only place that we can find life, then Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Word of God, has been set apart from the beginning of time to be made holy so that we too can know this truth about who Jesus is. From the beginning of time, everything's pointing to our desperation of knowing who Jesus is as the truth. And this is how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. We enter into this relationship full of sin. And then we're born of God. When we hear the Word of God, we hear with faith, we hear with believing, and then something happens in us. The sanctification, here it looks like it's for only the apostles, but it's not. It continues on as Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, for these folks only, not just the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through the Word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, 
this mention of being sanctified is not just for the disciples. But it's how the Holy Spirit will direct the disciples, these apostles that he's praying for first, he's going to direct their words and their writings so that others like us can hear the truth of who Jesus is. And when we hear that truth and we hear it with faith, then we too would believe. That's what 1 John 5, 1 says. It says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And that verse is so incredibly important because the language there, the verbs of believe and been born, believe is the present act of tense, which, which means that we believe and we continue to believe. The verb been born again is in the perfect tense, which means it emphasizes an ongoing result to a completed action. Something is going to be completed in us because of, of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. So the hearing, the hearing of God's word through faith, and simultaneously as we hear, the Holy Spirit is entering. These two things are going on at the exact same time, the exact same moment. We receive the Spirit by hearing, Galatians 3, 2. Romans 10 says that faith comes through hearing, right? So let me, let me just read some text to you. That Jesus makes it clear that this is, that disciples, uh, there is no conversion of a disciple without the Holy Spirit. So it says this in 1 Corinthians 2. And if you guys want this list, I can get it for you later. He enables us to understand and spiritually discern the things of God. Acts 11, 18, He grants us repentance and leads, that leads to life. Romans 5, 5, He pours out God's love into our hearts. John 1, 12, 13, He enables us to believe in the promise of the God. John 6, 65, No one can come to Jesus unless it is granted Him by the Father. Okay, So it talks about that, that there is an elect, there are people that God has chosen, that God will choose to bring into him. So what do we do with those guys? Well, it is through the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's John six sixty three. Faith in itself, then, is, is a, a measured gift that comes directly from God. Romans 12 says that it is a measurement that God gives to those who Believe, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. You have been born, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And that's 1 Peter 1.23. So you think about all that, you think about God's word, you think about how he is taking us from death to life. I think about marriage. When a man and a woman stand under the covenant of God, that they are becoming one. Well, the truth that God has given to us through the Holy Spirit unites us to the Father. We become the bride of Christ. And so why does Jesus do all of this in us? He says it so that, that they may believe, that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the world may believe, you see the cycle, you see what's happening. That we would believe, and through faith we would hear, and we would become converts. The Holy Spirit would enter us. We would speak it again. We would speak it to others. Others would hear. They would believe the Holy Spirit would enter. And they continue to move in that same cycle. And then, as we continue to read, we see the second element of what sanctifies us through the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. But they have been one, even as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So we see all this love language here that Jesus is talking about and identifying with how you have loved me. He says that the Father loves a couple, uh, sorry, the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you have loved me. Verse 24 says, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 26, I made known to them for your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. At no point in this prayer is Jesus pleading for us. At no point is Jesus sitting there trying to make a case. They earned it or they deserve it. In no case is he feeling sorry for us. Look how sinful they are. He wants us to know the depth and the power of the Father's love. When he's praying this prayer, he wants us to understand what he understands about how powerful the Father's love is. The Holy Spirit is actively sanctifying those who believe through the Word of God and through love. If we are there, then we are driven by something other than ourselves. And so we have to look at Paul's words in Galatians. Galatians 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And he jumps down to verse 22. But the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have, cruci- have been crucified that have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The fruit there, that word is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That is accompanied by these eight other characteristics of what love is. Paul goes on, and we hear a lot of language when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. People want to talk about spiritual gifts and what that looks like. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul unpacks what, it, what the spiritual gifts are, but he makes this, this very important statement at the very end in verse 31. It's profound. He says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, he starts unpacking what the fruit of the Spirit is, love. And so, just a caveat there is that if we are operating, if we, if, we, if we desire spiritual gifts more than we desire the fruit of the Spirit, then we got it backwards. Or if we are operating and we think we're operating in the power of the spiritual gifts, yet we're neglecting to love one another, we got it backwards. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that, is that without love you have nothing. And so this love is what sanctifies, what the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify us. We must awaken, we must ask the Holy Spirit to awaken us to our selfishness, to our indifference to what Jesus is actually saying here. Just because of our flesh, we sometimes want to get ahead of what 
we really need to know in the foundation of just understanding and receiving and living in the love. The Father's love put Jesus on the cross. And that was the cost. That was the cost for us to understand how much He loved us. In verse 26, He says, I made known to them your name, and I will, be, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He's coupling love, which we just talked about, with the truth, Jesus being the Word of God, says that I must be in them and the love of you must be in them. And when you take love and you take God's Word and you put it together, the Holy Spirit begins the process of sanctifying us to be like Christ. And it's not done when our own power. It's done in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. We're a new creation with a new strength, Ephesians 3.16, that produces the gospel fruit by the Spirit. And so the reality check in all of this is that there's still a battle. We're living in a world that's fighting for our attention, that's consuming us on every turn, that's drawing us to be concerned and worried about things we can't control. And when we're breaking away from the love of Christ, and breaking away from the truth of Christ, then we will try to stand on our own two feet and do it. We'll try to fight the fight without calling on the Holy Spirit. Knock and it'll be entered. It'll enter into you. Faith through hearing. The Holy Spirit is in you, yet we neglect that so often because we think we can do it. So how exactly then does the Holy Spirit empower us for growth in godliness? Kevin DeYoung answered this question by saying it this way. Think of the metaphor of light. The Holy Spirit has seen is a light shining into dark places, exposing our sin and leading us to repentance. The Spirit is also a lamp to to illumine God's Word, teaching what is true and revealing what is precious. And as we saw in John 16, the Spirit throws a spotlight on Christ so we can see His glory and beauty and be changed accordingly. This is the stunning argument Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He goes on to write, says, Just as Moses had his face transformed when he saw the Lord's glory on Mount Sinai, so will we be transformed when we behold God's glory in the face of Christ. Except we won't get just a shiny tan face. We will grow more and more into the image of the one we see. We become what we behold. I love that picture that it is in us. That it dwells in us. And we become what we behold. And so how that all works out is that our response to it. That God is teaching us to understand and to know the depth of His love for us by sending His Son to die a sinner's death, the death that we deserved. We didn't deserve a good gift. I didn't deserve a punching bag. I deserved to have a debt carrying over to the next year or two. But instead, I got this gift. And how much more does the Father in heaven know exactly how to love and give a perfect and wonderful and beautiful gift in the Holy Spirit for those that desire it, that ask? We hear by faith and we confess by our, that we're sinners and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit all simultaneously. I think we try to break it up and make it into compartments. But the Holy Spirit enters when we believe. 
And it continues to, and it begins to operate immediately to sanctify us through His Word and through understanding the depth and the power of His love. The Holy Spirit loves dwelling in us. He loves transforming us. He loves glorifying Jesus through us. He loves His creation. And He loves you. And He wants you to know the depth. He wants you to know the cost to have this message put in front of us so that we might hear the good news of Jesus Christ and believe and be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like we read at the very beginning in Psalms 119, that this type of love would teach us to love the Father and love His Word and be completely desperate for it because we can't do it on our own. We have to rely on God's Word and understand and know the cost to be an adopted son and daughter of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father, we're so thankful. God, I'm so thankful we can't do it on our own. I'm so thankful that it's not up to us to be able to atone for the sins, pay the debt. God, try to earn or deserve the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But it is this beautiful, undeserved, wonderful gift that you have poured into those who hear your good news and believe because of the faith that you poured into us to believe so that we can be sanctified through the power of the Holy Spirit. So thank you for this text. Thanks for John 17. Thanks for what it's doing in us even right now, God, as we wrestle through that. Lord, I pray that you would give us this desire to be in your word, that your word would expose us, expose our sin and draw us closer to you, showing how unholy we are, and God, at the same time, showing how holy and magnificent and wonderful you are, Jesus. We pray this in your name. We love you. We need you. Amen.